0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Biographies, as I read them, I'm amazed at how many of them were so close to Christianity, but in some measure, something about Christianity turned them off and they went another way. For example, you've all heard of Gandhi. And of course, whenever we refer to people who are loving and bringing people together and taking care of the poor and being at peace, etc., we think of Gandhi. What people don't know is that at one time, Gandhi had come to America and had gone to the southern part of America. And he was trying to discover the real Christ. He was on this quest, just part of understanding his religion, a religion, and Jesus Christ. And while he was in the south... And, of course, if you've ever lived in the South, you're going to find that Christianity is kind of like everywhere in your face. There's some form of Christianity or Christ is mentioned. It's like the Bible buckle of the South. Well, he went into a a restaurant, and because of the color of his skin back in his day, they wanted him to sit at a special place. They treated him with great disrespect. They didn't want to be around him. And he said, okay, if this is the part of America that is known to worship Christ, this can't be a genuine Christ or Christianity experience. And so that got him to a point to say that, well, Christ can't be real because he doesn't have the influence or the impact upon Christians. So he's a good God, but he's not the great God or the only God because he can't have the power to change lives. So he came to that conclusion. The other one is a name you probably don't know, but you've probably heard of its or his effect. His name is Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey is the founder of the Satanist Church. In fact, you have the Satanist Bible that's out there. When I was doing some research behind him, and I'll tell you that this research got me so nauseous, got me so angry, I, I just... I, I don't want to go on feeling, so don't, don't live with this. But for me, I really sensed a sense of oppression. So much so that when I, got, when I, when I earlier on was doing this research, I got one of those Satanist Bibles. And I began to kind of go through it. What was it saying? Because what I wanted to do was to compare the various religions and, and show the superiority. When, when I was in Bible college, I took the the, sayings, the primary sayings of Confucius and I took his sayings and I matched it up against Scripture because I wanted to show the superiority of Scripture. So now I'm going through the history of Anton LaVey. And here's what I found out. Anton LaVey grew up in a family that was involved with carnivals. You've heard of the carnies. Have you ever heard that term before? Carnival, carnies. And do you know where that came from? It came from the word carnal or fleshly. But that's another whole sermon. All right, let's go back to this. So as the carny. And so while his parents were involved in the carnival, he would be a part of that. What happened, though, is that many of those carnies on Sunday would end up trying to put together some kind of a church service. Well, because they traveled from town to town to town to town, they didn't just kind of go into some Bible teaching church in the town. They then used the big top tent because there was no carnival or, or circus or, or whatever you want to call it. On Sunday morning, because in those days when he was a young boy, most of the people were found going to church or they kind of shut down everything. You didn't do things on Sunday morning. So these carneys would then gather in the big top and they would have their church service. And LeVay would say, I'd sit there and I'd watch these people and I'd hear them praising God and singing all these songs and praying and, and with passion preaching about Christ. And he said, but I knew these people. I knew what they were doing on Saturday nights. I heard them talk. I heard their language. I heard they would be swapping wives. They would be drinking. All the things they would do to swindle the people who had come to these places. And he says, how can this enter? This cannot be real. And the only person that could be real would be Satan. Because Satan could cause these people to be greater than Jesus to do this kind of stuff. To trump whatever Jesus had good. And then his whole life was in. When I got to that part, I took that Satanist Bible and I did not sell it in a garage sale. I did not give it away. I destroyed it. I said, I've got to get this out of my library. And I've got thousands of books, and you've seen them. Those have been up in my office, other places. My point is, that's a little bit what these Jewish people were doing in their own way. They were saying, I boast in God. I have this label. I'm superior. They were doing all the speaky, speaky, speaky part but they weren't doing the living part of it, and therefore there was that great blasphemy that was going on. Now, if you think that Paul has an angst against just the Jews at Rome, I want you to hold your place here. And if you will, very quickly, I want you to go to Isaiah. It won't be hard to find. Just kind of look to the Old Testament. It's a big book, and it'll open up to Isaiah. And if you will, turn to Isaiah 29. And if you do, I want you to get it. And when, if it's your Bible, I'd like you to underline these verses here. And while this is an indictment against the Jewish people at that time, by extension, it's to the Jewish nation for doing the same things even through today. And even to us today, there's a lesson in there for us to apply. So look, if you will, at Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Have you found it? All right, let me read it to you. It goes like this. Then the Lord said, and of course Isaiah is saying what the Lord said. Because this people, referring to the Jews, draw near with their words, and in some translations it would say their mouth, so however they're doing it with their mouth, the words, the communication, and they honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Did you catch that? So in other words, they could do the talking part. They could even do the teaching part by going through their traditions and connecting. Watch this now, watch this. Every tradition to a spiritual truth or truth of some kind. But now they're teaching the tradition over the truth of what God was intending by that. And he says, these are the kind of people that there are. Now, again, that could be like you and me. We're religious people. We come to church. We sing some great songs, and I've seen this a lot, usually sometimes by singers, and I'm not putting down singers because I'm up here singing my heart out as best as I can, and if I don't know the song, sometimes I even sing the wrong words, and notice Carol, she'll poke me. A little side note here, when I was first saved... I um, came to church and everybody was believers and they're all singing the hymns, if you know any of the Bible hymns. and I didn't want to look like I'm a nobody. I I wanted to feel like I was mature like they were, but I just got saved as a 16-year-old kid. And they're singing all these great songs. And there was a song that said, And when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. Does anybody remember that phrase? And when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. I wasn't following the hymn book because if you looked at the hymn book, that meant you didn't know the hymn. You're new and I don't want to, I'm I'm not not new, I'm a Christian. I don't want to think I'm, you know. You deal with pride all your life. So anyway, I, I thought it said, and when the sacred bird would gather over on the other shore. So I kept shouting, and the sacred bird, you know. And, of course, my wife has a personality that she gets embarrassed by just looking at her funny, you know. And so she's wanting to crawl under the pew and, she's, no, 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 don't say that, don't say that. And by the next week, I forgot that she told me not to do that and what the right words were. Getting back to this now, I'm getting off silly here. We can come in here and we can sing these great songs like Jesus is my all in all and I love him with all of my heart and he is all I need. But all we have to do is to have someone not talk to us, look at us. They they don't treat us properly. They don't get what they want. Then all of a sudden that very same person, then they they compromise and they hypocrisize their particular testimony. While they sing one thing, they live something else. We can come in here with a big smile of how much we really love the Lord, but at the same time, we don't live with Him outside. Inside, we're judging and condemning and criticizing, but we know how to, what I call, here's a term, sin manage. We can manage our sin in such a way as that we can kind of put it down, stuff it over here, and then still act real Christian out here. Most of our people will see that, but that's nothing more than grabbing a handful of ping-pong balls and putting them under the water and trying to keep them underwater, knowing that those ping-pong balls will pop out sooner or later because our heart is not right. And so that won't work. And that's what he's basically trying to say here. But the primary passage is one in Ezekiel. So flip over to Ezekiel 32. Just go to the right. You'll find another big prophetic book. And you're going to turn to Ezekiel 32. You want to see this now. What's happening is, you've got uh, the children of Israel. They are um, in captivity. Some of the remnant came back to Israel. Ezekiel's the prophet, and the Lord is speaking to him and telling him what to say to them. And it's a wonderful passage of Scripture, and I don't have time to read it because I want to shorten the message a little bit or at least get us out on time. But in your own time, I want you to pick it up at verse 21 and read it through. But for today, just pick it up at verse 30, and I'll take it there down. And he says, But as for you, the Lord now speaking to Ezekiel, but as for you, son of man, Ezekiel, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of their houses or on the Internet, uh, excuse me, They speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. In other words, come. Listen to Ezekiel. He's got a message from the Lord. Come. We want to hear his message. Verse 31. They come to you, the Lord says to Ezekiel, as people would come. They even sit before you as my people, and they hear your words. But they do not do them, for they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. Moral impurity, greed, bitterness, all the things we're teaching in the men on lifeguards on Wednesday night. Verse 32. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they don't practice them. They hear you every week. They hear you when they come, but then they go out and do their own thing. So when it comes to pass, and it surely will, then they will know. There will come a time that there was a prophet that was in their midst, but they didn't listen to him. So the point of the matter is you can come to hear the greatest, most eloquent speakers, and I am certainly not one of them. But I don't know who you listen to on the radio or on television, if they're biblical or whatever. If you're listening to them, you can put all your heart into that. But at the same time, if it's not a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ and you go out and live a different way, that's why many people won't come to faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sometimes they have to see it before they're going to hear it. All right, let's end with the last one now, and that would be number eight. A little longer passage, but this one is just as powerful, and we'll close with this. They rely on their rituals. I alluded to that a moment ago, and it's almost like full circle. They had their labels, they had their rules, they had their regulations, and now we're talking about their rituals. Now, the rituals would be some of the outside things that they do that would be attached to... A spiritual matter, a rule or a regulation, might be a, a principle found in the Bible. But in this case, it's not a principle found in the Bible, but it's something that we've attached some meaning to it that we kind of extrapolated some purpose from uh, principles from Scripture. We kind of packaged it all together, and therefore we now do it, and we add that to a particular type of ritual. Now let's look at the passage, and then I'll show it how it fits today. And again, he's talking to these people here who thought because they were religious, they were better than the moralists. The moralists thought they were better than the rejectionists. And all of them yet were still guilty. They needed forgiveness in Christ and we're heading in that direction. So with that in mind, let's look at the last part of this passage beginning at verse 25 through 29. And if you're kids, some of the words in here like circumcision. If you're a guy, ask your dad what that means. If you're a girl, ask your mom. Okay, so let's go to verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. In other words, you are a Jew, you practice the law, then on the eighth day, you would circumcise your boy, your son. All right? So you'd be circumcised. If you practice the law, you circumcise him. But if you're a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So in other words, you might have been circumcised when you were eight days old, but later on, you didn't follow the law, so it might as well have been as if you weren't circumcised, because God doesn't see that, because your circumcision is supposed to be matching the fact that you are keeping the law. Verse 26. So if the uncircumcised man, let's use the word Gentile, the unbeliever, the non-Jew, if he keeps the requirements of the Jewish law, in other words, he says, oh, you know what, I like your book. I, I like what it says in, the, in, in your uh, Pentateuch, in all the laws. All right. If he does this, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? In other words, the Lord will say, I'm not looking at the circumcision, the physical thing done to a, an eight-day-old boy. I'm looking at the fact Does your heart right? And what you're doing now... And actually in the Greek it's keeping the law. Keeping the requirements. And then verse 27 it says... And he who is physically uncircumcised... Again back to Gentile... If he keeps the law, does the law... Will he not judge you... Who though having the letter of the law... And circumcision... Are a transgressor of the law? In other words, here's a guy who's not even a Jew... He now is going to keep the law the best that he can... Won't he look at you who say that you believe the law and all your circumcision, but yet you don't live according to that? Won't he be judging you? Of course he will. That's the hypocrisy there again. Following the rituals and not Christ. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Now circle that in your Bible. A person is not a Jew by, by what he does in the outward, by keeping all the law, all the, the deeds and all the rituals like circumcision. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. The real circumcision that God is looking for, especially in the age of grace, is not what's done on the male member, it's the circumcision that's done in the heart when you trust Christ to save you, verse twenty nine. But and this is you ought to mark it. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, in other words, you have a heart turned toward the Lord, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Do you see that? Say, uh uh-huh. All right, now go back to the verse. There's something that is so cool here. It says at the very end of verse 29, not by the letter, and his praise. Remember how we began the message? We said you had the word Judah, Judah shortened Jew. All that means praise. So let's take that word praise and change it and put the word Jew in there not by the letter, and his Jewishness, or his Jew is not from men, in other words, the heritage of his race and all the background, but now you are a true Jew because it's from God by place. and later on you're going to find, by placing your faith alone in Christ. And let me pause because I need to bring this to a close real quickly now, so listen up. You might be saying, well, Stan, I read that whole passage with you. I followed all that, but I never heard anywhere in there that salvation was by faith alone in Christ. All you're telling me is that this is how a religious person looks, and this is how he acts, and this is what he does, particularly the Jewish people. I, I get all of that. It's not found directly in this passage. And that's why, dear ones, I want you to keep coming because if you are reading through the book of Romans, you're going to find that he keeps building his case to the crescendo that it is by faith alone and not by our own human righteousness that gets us to heaven. So no matter how unrighteous we are, like the rejectionist, or how socially righteous we are by the moralist, or how maybe religiously righteous we are by doing the religion, we still will never be righteous enough to go to heaven and God has to give us his righteousness and that happens the moment we place our faith in Christ. So this whole dynamic of salvation, is uh, we simplify it by faith alone in Christ, but there is so much connected to it that shows you like a rose. When it opens up, it smells so beautiful and looks so beautiful when it's all open. You're getting the rose bud. Now this rose bud is every bit the rose as one that's all opened up, so it will not change. It will not make it some other uh, flower, but it's all the same. So right now we're seeing this rose, that I can't do anything to be that rose, that only God can do that when I trust Christ as Savior, and that Jesus truly is the rose of Sharon. Let's pray, shall we, with every head bowed and every eye closed. So, whether uh, it's a Jewish person that's going to rely upon their rules and regulations and their labels and their superiority, and whether they try to maintain a, the preaching part but not the living part, I just want you to know that even so called Christians, they too need to understand that the so called part of that is. Have they truly and only placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ who died and rose again? Just like the Jewish people had their rituals, we can take a wonderful ritual of the Advent candles, maybe even communion, maybe even baptism, and take some of these things and all of a sudden bring them into the plan of salvation that we have to do these things Or participate in these things. Or experience these things to go to heaven. And when God says, no, you come just as you are. And see yourself as a sinner. For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that Jesus came to save sinners. And Jesus died for us while we were committing sin. And that there's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ by faith. So right now, would you personally let the Holy Spirit, like a candle, go to the deepest part of your heart right now, wherever you are, and to reveal anything that you might be trusting in other than Jesus Christ alone to take you to heaven? Would you do that right now? As much of you have been doing this or believing in this for so long, you need to change your mind, change your thinking and realize it is none of those but only Christ. Yes, it's good to be moral. Yes, it's especially good to be religious, but not when it's not biblical, not when it's not going to give you eternal life. Then it's, it's kind of like a heavenly trip to hell. Chuck Swindoll said one time that Religion is probably the greatest curse put upon mankind. I'd like to say that Jesus Christ is not a curse word. He is the cure. Now you can't make a mistake, only God knows your thoughts. And you might want to say right now to the Lord, Lord, I know that Jesus Christ is the Lord who died and rose again. I believe that. Lord, I, I want to thank you for going to the cross for me and dying giving to me eternal life. I want to thank you that I can go to heaven not by any good deeds that I've done or will do but that, Father, I've been fully, completely and once and for all forgiven and I am now forever in your fellowship, in your family forever and ever and that when I sin, that, Lord, you will discipline me with your grace but not kick me out of your family. So, Lord, I want to thank you that I now have an eternal, forever relationship with you. Now and when I go to heaven. If you're doing that, I'd like to pray for you, so in a moment I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, I do that so that maybe it gives you an opportunity to know that, that I know that today you trusted Christ. And it gives me this, right now, immediate opportunity to lovingly pray for you. But you need to know that raising your hand is, again, a ritual, You don't have to do that to go to heaven. Walking an aisle is a ritual. You don't have to do that to go to heaven. Filling out a card is a ritual. You don't have to do that to go to heaven. Me praying for you doesn't help you one bit. It's your faith in Christ, not my prayer for you that gets you into heaven. I'm just asking if you'd like me to do that as a new friend in your life. Because I love you. And I want to kind of rejoice with you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, so this is personal between you and the Lord and for me, I'd like to know if you're trusting Christ. Now when you raise your hand, I'm just going to say thank you. And I'm going to pray for you in a way that won't embarrass you. And some of you that are thinking that, oh, Jesus died publicly, so shouldn't these people go public? Yeah, they, they could and they will. And perhaps they should. But when you were born, it was kind of a private thing. Salvation begins as an inside job. Later on, it becomes outside. So is there anyone here today that's ready to place their faith alone in Christ and you'd like for me to pray for you? If that's the case, and you're now saying, Pastor, pray for me because right now, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all right now that's doing that? Anyone? Put your hand up. Okay, Christians, let's take this message clearly knowing that Probably the kind of groups that you hang around with aren't going to be the rejectionists. I don't think you're in some kind of gangs and out there doing such horrible things. You might have some family members that are isolated and come across them occasionally. I hope you go to them first and love on them with the gospel. Maybe you hang around more moralists, probably so. People that don't go to church or have a religion or they have one but they don't even practice it and they'll just proudly tell you that. But I pray now that you've got some understanding of them that they still need to know Christ and that you'll lovingly but courageously give them the gospel. And those of you that hang around a lot of religious people, that you won't automatically assume their religion is going to get them to heaven. And that you will take the time to get into a conversation and engage them with the simple message of salvation. And My favorite question to ask them is, tell me about your spiritual journey. And off they go. And then I'll ask them. If you were to stand before God and God was to ask you one question, how would you answer this question? And here it is. God asking you, why should I let you into my heaven? And then I want you to listen with both ears and your heart and mind. And if they tell you anything other than they place their faith alone in Jesus Christ, then help them along to understand the clarity of the gospel the correctness of the gospel, the compassion of Christ. And perhaps you might lead them into solid truth. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have given to us in your word through the Apostle Paul to the people, Christians at Rome, for us today. Now Lord, we thank you for your word and it's so rich and relevant that we don't have to make it relevant. We just have to unleash it And let you now speak to us. Thank you that you care so much for us to know truth, that we can come and hear truth Sunday after Sunday. Now, Father, help us all to be back next week as we continue our study of what the Apostle Paul and you, Father, especially want us to learn. Father, I ask that you'll bless these dear people this week as they stand firm in a week where Satan is actually worshipped or others just accidentally worshipped. But in any case, Jesus Christ isn't given the preeminence. So Lord, I pray you'll protect them and use them and this season to present Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In your name we pray.